This is the Young Professionals Podcast, proudly brought to you by Adapt Careers, where we speak with young professionals to understand what they do in their roles day to day, how they got there and what they've learned along the way. My name is Luke Marriott. And I am Nicholas Sargent, better known as Sarge. And we are your co-hosts. Sarge, what do our listeners need to do? To stay up to date and support what we're doing, please subscribe, like the episode and leave a comment on any of our social channels. We can't wait to hear from you. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Young Professionals Podcast. Luke and Sarge here again. Sarge, who are we speaking with? Today, Luke, we're speaking with Tim McDonald. Tim describes himself as a writer, podcaster, and job seeker. You might have seen him on Channel 10's Have You Been Paying Attention or heard him on the radio on the hit network across Australia. He's also a producer with Working Dog on shows including Utopia and Russell Coit's All Aussie Adventures and hosts the motorsports comedy show, The Reserve Drivers. Tim's career is a testament to the old adage, you can get in anywhere with the right lanyard. Tim, welcome to the show. Nick, Luke, great to be here. Uh, and I'll be honest, I think the bio speaks for itself. So I don't know if I can add any more to that, but um, let's see how we go. Well, one thing that got me with your bio is this old adage, you can get anywhere with the right lanyard. Would you, would you like to un- ex- unpack what that, what that means? <laughs> What I love about this podcast is you're going to get a lot of inspirational advice from, you know, thought leaders in a, in a range of different careers. 95% of my career philosophy basically boils down to just having your swipe card working. That's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Cause you can, you can get in anywhere with a landed. Nobody questions you. You just do a little bit of a nod. They, they do a half look and, and away you go. And that's sort of how I've got where I am today. And with that lanyard, you've uh, mm. obviously become a producer at Working Dog. What does a producer at Working Dog do? Uh, well, well, ninety-five percent of the role uh, involves getting people soy flat whites, but the other five percent is is a whole range of things. So I've, I've been with Working Dog for uh, for about five years now, and they they produce a bunch of shows. You mentioned a couple in the bio. Have you been paying attention? Utopia. They did. Thank God you're here. Um, the Castle, the Dish. Love. Thank God you're here. It's great, great show, and and I've I've been a fan of them for for ages, and and getting to meet them and know them um, has only cemented that even more. They're they're fantastic people, but it's a small, it's a really small team. So um, in any show that they make, you're involved in a whole bunch of different areas, from researching the show to um, to helping uh, produce it, helping with guests, helping with recording, helping with editing. Um, so I've been lucky to do a whole bunch of roles over the five years. Mate, just touching on what Working Dog does as, as a company, for people who aren't familiar with it, and I, I think a lot of people would have heard of those particular shows, but do you just want to walk through what a production company actually does and what is the production of a TV show or a radio show or a podcast or anything like that? What happens on, on the, in the background? Sure. Well, I think a lot of people have a very glamorous idea of what TV production is, but essentially involves a dingy warehouse with 3G internet and a bunch of people on no sleep. So basically, basically a production company, it's the group of people who are, who are putting on, you know, shows for TV, film, radio, uh, and you've got to, you, the teams, uh, the teams are a mix of people. So you've got people who are editing the shows, you've got people who are researching, coming up with content for the show. It, yeah. It's, it's a group of people who come together and we're working to, to basically produce everything that you see when you watch, um, an episode of one of our shows. So yeah, that's a very underwhelming answer to uh, a very interesting question. <laughs> that's all right. Which will be the theme for this episode going forward. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Um, well, mate, why don't you, I, I think with the label of producer, you obviously touch 
kind of every aspect of the show and you just touched on a few of them, but what does your day-to-day look like? And I assume that changes just from say Monday through Friday, but if you come in on a Tuesday morning, once you've got everyone there lattes, what, what, what are you actually doing in the role and what are your responsibilities? Uh, no, normally uh, being berated, but the coffee's not hot enough. That, that, that's, that's how I start my mornings. But, uh, but so basically I'll, I'll take a show like, have you been paying attention? For example, for people that don't know, have you been paying attention? It's, it's a weekly news based, um, comedy quiz show that's on every Monday on channel 10, 840. Um, and so each, each week, um, there's a group of us and we're, we're looking for moments in the news clips, questions that we can ask, uh, that we can put in the show to ask, uh, the panel of five, um, contestants. So in terms of a day to day, a lot of, a lot of the days you spent watching sunrise and the, and the today show. So, um, I can hear people switching off now. Um, and uh, not wanting a career in media. But um, if you can get past that, uh, there's a lot of watching the news. There's a lot of um, reading the paper, reading news.com, um, finding those bits of news that are going to make up the show. Um, and, then, and then it's about um, getting those clips, editing them together, building, building the, the intros and the packages that, that go in. And, um, and we, we spend a lot of time doing that just to make sure that we've got the right right balance of questions that we've got enough, you know, from Australia, from America, from all around the world, um, Kim Jong-un pointing at things. Um, and, and then it's all about preparing the show for when we record. So, uh, heading into the studio, uh, doing, doing run throughs, tech checks, rehearsals, uh, and filming the show as well. So, um, week, week to week, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to make, um, 40 to make an hour of television so so with that uh, and let's just take the example of have you been been have you been paying attention there we go um for someone that doesn't i've got no kind of background knowledge of production or, or tv or media really does channel 10 own the show do they also produce it or is it kind of outsourced to another company that you work with how does that actually work and then are the people that are working in the background to say put together those video packages and look through the news and do all that kind of stuff that you're talking about do they also work on other tv shows that show on play on channel 10 rather or other channels like how, do, how does that all kind of work and, and fit together so working dog um were pioneers in this and i think everyone sort of followed the lead from them is if they own a hundred percent of what they produce. So they're responsible for every show that they produce, which means they have creative control. Um, they, they can, they're controlling the look and, and the feel of the show to, just to make sure that it, it, it works. Not every production company is the same. A lot of the time um, it's, it's split between the production company and the network. But in our case, Working Dog um, own the show, they own the intellectual property and they, they control the show. So, um, and our team, because our team is really small, we're all working on the same show at the same time. So we, we tend to only do one one or two shows at a time. So uh, for most of the year, we do have you been paying attention and then some of us move on to other shows. If we're doing, um, we also do Utopia, which is the um, uh, comedy drama on the ABC. Russell quotes all those adventures on Channel 10, uh, a whole bunch of other shows that we do at the moment. Um, changes year to year. Um, so we yeah, we, we, do, we do all move between shows, which is great because it means you get to um, get lanyards from a variety of different companies. Um, but also, also that, that's you, the goal, right? That's the goal. But also you, you get a feel for a whole bunch of different um, shows. So in, in, in my five years there, I've, I've worked on a whole bunch of different shows for um, both the TV shows, podcasts, um, 
books, all, all that, all all those type of different things. Was that one of the big drivers for you uh, choosing to pursue a working dog? In that you get one hundred percent creativity because you're not part owned by a network. So working dog it was founded by Rob Sitch, Santa Talara, Tom Glasner, and Jane Kennedy. And the reason they 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 own everything that they do is because they're they're the, they're the creatives. So they're the, they're the people that come up with the ideas for the show. They write the show, they act in, and star in the show, and then they edit the show and they produce the show. So the reason they own everything is because they they didn't want to spend all this time creating a concept and then handball it off to a network who didn't understand it or who were going to change it. So, and that's one of the biggest things I've learned from them is is that. Yeah. If you want to make sure that the final product is is what you envisaged, you know, nine months earlier when you had the idea, you've got to be there every step of the way. Um, yeah, you've got to have a, a finger in all of those pies, um, because otherwise, what happens is, uh, and this happens with a lot of other production companies, is someone has an idea, it then gets handballed off to someone else who has to interpret it then it, it gets interpreted by someone else down the line and then it's handed off to an editor and then it's, like it's handed off to a game of Chinese whispers. Well, you can't say Chinese whispers anymore. Uh, Nick, it's a game <laughs> of it's a East Oriental whispers. No, that'll cut out. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, and, and, then, and then the original idea gets so lost by the time that the, the, that the show is released or goes to air. So that's, the, that's one of the biggest things I've learned from Working Dog is, is um, and it's not in a controlling way, it's just in a we want to make sure that the end product is as good as it can be. Keep it authentic. Mm. Sort of the opposite of this show by the sounds of things. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> hey, just, just, just quickly, boys, it's great to be here on the Young Professionals podcast. Although, although sitting here in my track suits, hot spotting on my phone, I think we're taking a liberal definition of the word professional. Oh, we're just professionals in the COVID environment, Tim. You need to learn to adapt, mate. That's right. Exactly well, right. in the COVID environment, uh, you know, as a writer, the mark of the mark of a good successful day is how many coffee cups you've got scattered on your desk at the moment. Don't you use plates. a keep cup? Uh, is this going? Is this episode going out to air? Uh, no, <laughs> anti recycling. Uh, Very good. Uh, <laughs> um, mate, just, just touching on um, before we get into kind of your, I guess, education journey and, and all of that. I just wanted to ask, what is, is it sorry, like? Sorry, look, sorry, look, education journey. Is this a mini episode? Is it this week? Are we only doing five minutes? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on the fact that you're working for a company that is so heavily influenced by, say, Tom Gleisner, just as one example, who is quite evidently someone that you looked up to from when you were quite young. I imagine working with that kind of person or for that kind of person would be like, someone being like, I want to be an AFL footballer and, you know, idolizing a particular player and then ending up playing with them. What is that like? And when you first kind of the first day on the job, were you like, Oh, I've actually made it. And this is awesome because I've been wanting to do this for so long. I'm here. Like, can can you just walk through what that kind of felt like to be working with your, I guess, idol? It's a bit different to the AFL environment because it's like Dustin Martin growing up idolizing Kevin Bartlett, but the two are probably not likely to play in the same team. Um, But this is a bit different. Um, I'm, I, I get the chance to work with, with Tom and Rob and Santo. And, and growing up, my, my parents introduced me to shows like The Late Show and Frontline and, and then, then the, the, the Hollow Men and Thank God You're Here. So I grew up idolising these guys and, and loving them. Um, I think they're, they're incredible what they do, incredibly funny, incredibly smart. Um, and then having got to know them for the last five years, they're also annoyingly incredibly kind people. So there's, there's not a lot wrong with them, but it's, it's amazing because 
you know, you grow up watching these people and, and idolizing them and loving their shows and, and to then, to then work with them and write with them and then, then even appear on the shows that I was watching. Um, it's, uh, it's a dream come true. Mm. But to answer your actual question, what was, what was your actual question? I think you asked it about 20 minutes ago. No, oh, <laughs> that's right. I've lost track. I was saying, what, what, does it, what does it feel like to be able to work with your idols? And I think you, you hit the nail okay. on the head there. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege is what it is. Um, and often they say don't make your heroes. But in this, in this case, um, Rob, Santo, Tom, Jane, and I'll include um, Michael Hirsch, who's the executive producer, who sometimes gets forgotten. Um, but working with those those guys, you can you can see why they were so successful. They're incredibly smart, um, uh, really hardworking, diligent, and, and these guys have these guys have had success for what since since the early nineties, and they don't need to be doing any of this. They're, they're they're doing very well, but they they still come in. They still rock up at eight o'clock to, to write um, when the office is empty and they do that every day and they're still working hard. Um, so it's, it's, it's inspiring just watching them and, and being around them. I've learned so much. Well, mate, on that particularly, like digging a bit further into that, what are say three or four, and I think you just touched on it, but characteristics or uh, I guess habits or processes that you can see people who are say 20 years ahead of you or even longer, I don't know how old they are, but in terms of how, um, polished they are at what they do, what are some things that you were like, oh, I need to get better at that process or that habit or, or bring that into my life? So it's their work ethic. I, th- I think that's, that'd, be, that'd be number one. So they rock up at eight o'clock every day. They're the first ones in that, and they're still, they're still working and they don't tend to look backwards. So um, they, they really, they're, they're not super interested in looking back at the stuff that they've done and, and, go, and patting themselves on the back. It's all about what's coming up next. Um, how can they make the next thing as good as it can be? Um, so, so that relentless work ethic. Um, the other thing I've learned about them is, yeah, it's probably a habit is that they put a lot of emphasis on on editing. So, for any person who's listening to this, who's still listening to this, um, who might <laughs> want to be a <laughs> who might want to be a writer or, or a uh, you know have a career in the media in any in any field. Um, the thing I've learned most is, is editing because um, I, th- I think what a lot of young writers, they fall into the trap of writing something and then going, gee, how, how great is this? This is 100% perfect. This is rolled gold. Um, but the reality is often it's not. Often it might only be 10% of it that's any good. But um, as a young writer, you, you, you don't feel like you want to cut it because you go, oh, I've spent all this time on it. it I've, I've got to do all of it. I've got to release it as is. But... Um, what I've learned with Rob, Santo and Tom is that if, if you cut the stuff that doesn't work, the end result is, is fantastic. So because at the end of the day, that's all people are going to see. All people are going to see is the end result. So I remember doing, uh, doing various things along the way with, you know, law reviews or, or, or doing online videos or something like that when we'll come to is you'd often write a joke and, and you'd tell it to someone and, and they'd go, I don't get it. And then you'd go, no, see, 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 it's funny because, and then you'd spend five minutes explaining to them why it was funny. And then they go, I still didn't get it. And you go, oh, well, you're an idiot. You wouldn't understand. But the reality is if your audience doesn't understand it or they don't like it or they don't laugh at it, there's no point in keeping it in. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, not about, um, it's not about what you think. It's we, we, we make things for an audience. And if the audience aren't reacting to it, there's no point in doing it. So, so by, like, cutting that sort of stuff out, you're left with only the, only the best bits that the audience loves. And, and that makes the whole, 
the whole show look as good as it can be. So work ethic, editing, um, those are the those are the two big ones that I've learned from the boys. I think that's a really good segue, Tim, into your uh, start to life after school. You studied arts at Melbourne Uni and my understanding is you weren't so invested in the arts degree. You went there for other reasons. Could you uh, shed some light on what you were uh, – why what what drove you to go to melbourne and, and what, what what was taking up most of your time there well i wanted to do an arts degree to differentiate myself from uh, <laughs> from everyone um but that didn't work um the reason i i was very lucky to, to get into um i think the word is scrape into um melbourne uni uh, and the only reason i wanted to go to melbourne uni is because i knew that rob sandra and tom had been to melbourne uni and they'd done a thing called the melbourne uni law review which is an annual um, comedy live sketch show put on by the law school. So, uh, but it was open to anyone. So, so the only reason I put down Melbourne Uni, it wasn't for the campus. It wasn't for the, um, the, the courses or the academic prestige. It was literally just to get into this side project, this, um, law review, which I was, I was lucky. Uh, the audition was on my f- first week of uni and, you know, you rock up there as a little 18 year old, you don't know anything. Um, I think I was writing my, you had to, you had to audition with, a, with a, a, a comedy sketch and I think I wrote it in the marketing lesson before my audition because um, <laughs> I thought it would give it a bit of freshness um, as it was literally, the ink was dripping off the page. It was that fresh. I was very lucky to get in uh, and then, then spent the next three years, pretty much of my degree, basically in the law review, um, little room, um, writing sketches, filming sketches, um, producing a show and when you're when you're a young kid at uni you don't have a team of producers who can do all that sort of stuff so you, you've got to do it all yourself which was the best learning experience because you learn how to write you learn how to edit you learn how to produce the show talk to venues book an audience market the show so you get a you get a little taste of all of what's involved in producing a show so it was the best experience i, I acted in it for one year and then was lucky enough to direct the next two um I think the phrase is critically ignored, uh, the shows were. Um, but it was the best It was the best time. At, and an arts degree was great for that because you, you had, I think, you one, had a lot con- of time. You had one contact hour uh, in, in a five-day <laughs> week and, it, and I was late to a lot of them. Um, <laughs> so uh, my, my girlfriend got really good at um, doing my signature, um, which, came, which came in handy on the off occasion that I wasn't able to attend any lectures. Just going back to the Melbourne Melbourne Law Review, like you rolled down and uh, you, you've written you've written your sketch in your marketing class. Like, mm. how does how does that work? What does it actually look like? The sketch? Well, it was about marketing, uh, funnily enough, because that's, <laughs> that's what I was listening to at the time. Um, no, so uh, so I knew about this thing called the Law Review. I, I knew that Rob Santo and Tom and a whole bunch of other Magda Shabansky, uh, Celia Pacola, Steve Vizard, they'd all started in that. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be involved. And, and so when I got in, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but it was essentially it was a group of 15, 10 to 15 of us who were all like-minded. We all loved comedy. We all wanted to act and write and produce. Um, so that'd be my next tip is, is finding people who have a similar interest to you and just spending time with them because you, you learn so much, um, especially in comedy, often – um, and I, I still have this to this day. Often you look at something and you can spend an hour and a half going, I've got no idea. There's no angle here. There's nothing funny about that. And then you hand it off to someone else with a different perspective and they go, yep, hit, bing, bing, bing. Uh, so hanging out with people who were like-minded, who wanted to do, do the same thing. 
firstly, it was just really fun. It was just a fun room to be in, great way to spend three years. Um, and then you learn off other people, um, both from their perspectives and, and what they teach you, and then also just by doing. So the other tip is for anyone wanting to, a career in writing or media or, or comedy is, and the guy I speak about, and the guy I speak about this a lot is is flying hours essentially, and and that's probably true for a whole bunch of other jobs, particularly, particularly flying, um, <laughs> being a pilot. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably where the linkage is between professional pilot and comedian. They, they probably diverge after that. Yeah. Um, are you good at three times tables? I've heard pilots are good at their three times tables. <laughs> is is that a wow? Maybe that's the. That's the, you know, like the I'm not a robot form on websites. Maybe to start an A380, you need to be able to do three times three is nine. Maybe that's the, <laughs> maybe that's the start of the start the plane. But it's, it's true. The more, the more you do something, the, the better you get at it um, and, and you learn by doing. And so um, Law Review was great because you're putting on a show, you're meeting every week, you're writing new ideas, you're filming stuff. And the first stuff you do is absolute crap. Like it's so ordinary. You think it's the best stuff in the world, but it's absolute garbage. But then you learn. You learn that, okay, maybe a five-minute monologue with no jokes isn't such a good idea. And maybe if I do four minutes and add one joke, that might be better. Mm. So, and I'm still doing that to this day. I'm, I'm still still doing, um, I'm still learning and I'm, I'm nowhere near at the level of Rob or Santo or, or Tom. Um, but the more you the more you do something, uh, the better you get at it. Sorry, boys. What an insightful tidbit that was. The more you do something, the better you get at it. That'll be the that'll oh. be the trailer for this episode. Man, I think people need to be reminded of that. Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> I, I think particularly in um, our age group and probably people that are a little bit younger, there seems to be this push to always get to the like you get somewhere, then it's like I need to go to the better one, or I need to shoot to be a manager, or I need to shoot to be blah blah blah. But mm. I, I think there might be a. a, a I guess a sentiment creeping in that the time that you spend in those kind of intermediate roles doesn't matter when it really does because you're just gaining more and more experience and learning, oh, no, you need to take time to edit. Like if you just jump to the next next stage, you're not going to have those five or six shows where people didn't laugh at your stuff and you didn't realize that, oh, that's because I didn't edit this properly or, or whatever it might be. So I think it's an important point. People, people watch like the comedy gala and they see these these big stand-ups and go, great, I, I want a Netflix special. I've written one joke. I'm ready for it. But you've got to do all those flying hours. And, and all the all the top um, comedians I've, I've been lucky enough to, to know and work with, they've all had horrific failures at the, at the start of their career. And that's, A, what you learn from, and, B, it's what you look back and laugh on um, 15 years down the track. So, um that would be my my other tip. Uh, let's just do a quick tally on how many big tips I've offered. I, I think we're up to Timmy, number seventeen. Timmy's tips. Timmy's tips. I think we're up to number seventeen of my most important tips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, see, now I've lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah. So the thing about being a professional pilot is that it's all about it's, it's like it's like comedy writing. You've got to put in a certain amount of, of flying ass. The other thing as well is it's enjoyable. So writing, um, producing, acting basically piss fighting around, it's, it's enjoyable. It's a great way to spend time. Uh, and the other thing as well is you don't know what's the one thing that's going to take off, which is what I said to a lot of people who are my age. They, they do one comedy festival show and, and sort of sit by the phone and go, oh, how come I'm not getting any offers or how come, you know, it was a great show. How come I haven't, you know, made the next step yet? Mm. Be, because you don't know the thing that's going to be the, 
the thing that takes off. So I, I've done a whole heap of comedy festival shows and online sketches and videos, online joke articles that no one will ever see. But there'll be um, there's been a few that unexpectedly people go, "Hey, I saw that. Um, let's have a chat." And, and that's where you take the next step. So that's that's why you've got to keep working because you don't know what what the one thing is that, that's going to grab people's attention. On the theme of next steps, Tim, you managed to snag yourself a job at Working Dog, but I, I, if I understand correctly, you didn't start there in a writing or producing capacity. Do you want to take us through what your first job was and, and how you got that? No, I started there in a, in a fixing photocopier capacity, which is less interesting. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll do a side podcast on what it's like to be a photocopier repairman. Um, I, I, I really fell into the role by accident. My girlfriend was looking for jobs at the time and stumbled across a, a, a social media position at Working Dog. She knew I loved the guys and, and said, hey, I think you should apply. Um, so at 8 in the morning, I think it was on a Friday, I sort of half asleep um, fudged together a quick resume of fake sort of references and during, achievements. During marketing? <laughs> yes, that's right, during marketing. Realised it was only a quarter of a page, so I bumped the font up to size 18 and two pages away we go and then sent that off and, and didn't think anything of it because I hadn't. Uh, my only job prior to that was working in a bottle shop, so it was hardly qualification enough. And then five minutes later I got a call. Um, hello, it's Deb Herman from Working Dog and Deb is one of the is the line series producer. She's fantastic and and she said, oh, we'd like you to come in to have a chat. And so at that point... Uh, you've got to start like a spy. You've got to start remembering which lie you told uh, and where you're up to on your fake resume. So I'll, I'll walk into walk into working dog and Tom Gleisner opens the door for me and Ed Cavalier's there. And, um, and so you walk into this, this office and it, it was like going into the Charlie and the chocolate factory. It was just, it was amazing. The walls were, were covered in, uh, not chocolate, but uh, uh, not literally like the was chocolate it, factory. Was Augustus Glump there? <laughs> well, well, there were four other candidates, but they all went missing at various points <laughs> along the along the way. It was pretty settled now that I think about it. Um, I managed to go in, go for an interview, um, and, and was lucky enough to get the job. So I, I was starting there. This was 2016, um, so I was, I was fairly out of uni. I was very inexperienced, so I was doing a lot of small jobs, um, like writing, writing tweets, um, Facebook posts, fixing people's iPhones, um, basically doing anything I could to just, to just be around and, and saying yes to everything. I think that was another thing that, that helped. Um, if, if you, if you can show that you, you're keen to learn and you're keen to work and you're keen to do the, do the shit jobs, then eventually, um, you start to get a bit more notice and they start to handle off a bit more responsibility to you and, um, so I spent a lot of time just doing those small jobs and then gradually you get to know these people and, and they ask you about what you're doing and you say, so I was saying that I was doing comedy on the side and doing some online shows and so they take a bit more of an interest and, um, and then occasionally you might have seen something funny that you go, oh, this might work on have you been paying attention or this might be great for that show and, and gradually more and more um, you start to become involved in the production so from I was getting the images for have you been paying attention that come up when the question goes and, and then it was looking for funny clips and, um, and then it was, and then it just sort of snowballed from there really. So I was really lucky in that respect. Tim, there's a, I guess, a it comes up a lot with people that we've spoken to so far on the show that they look like they've just gotten super lucky and it's all kind of worked out for them. And I certainly, you know, we, we went to school together as a bit of context, but we haven't really 
been in touch since since then, and it's it's a bit weird to say that's nearly ten years ago. Um, well, well, that's not strictly true. I've sent you a lot of emails and notifications, <laughs> but you haven't respi- replied. So. Oh, mate, not in a public forum like this. <laughs> Sorry, we'll do that off there. We'll do that off there. Um, but I, I think an example of that is I saw, I think it was maybe two years ago or whenever it was where you made your first appearance on Have You Been Paying Attention? And I was like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. He's, he's made it. He must have kind of got really lucky. But as you say, there's all this stuff that's gone on um, in between kind of since school to, to then. So what, what I, where I'm getting at with that is when you were at school, did you always think I want to be doing this and be on TV and be in comedy? And then if so, did you appreciate how much hard work was going to have to go in immediately after school to, to kind of get there? Well, I, uh, firstly, I forgive you, Luke. Uh, <laughs> secondly, you. <laughs> secondly, I did school the wrong way. So uh, I, I did what we call peak in year seven. So I studied really hard in year seven and then <laughs> like a reverse graph, um, gradually my effort waned off uh, to the point where in year 12, the critical year where everyone's all starting to be, a, you know, to get into uni to be a doctor or to be a lawyer, um, I spent most of the year with a very dodgy JVC camcorder, just walking around film, filming impressions. We had a guy at the school, you'd know, Paul Scaft, who did impressions <laughs> of all the teachers. And we, we spent about a year putting together the final 30-minute video that was seen at, you know, on the last day of school, um, which, which I was just doing for fun. I didn't realise that I, it was a, my first taste of, you know, writing and filming and editing and, and acting and all that sort of stuff. So I think when I when the careers counsellor says, what do you want to do? And I, I realised that I'd spent more time uh, mucking around than on anything that was going to get me anywhere. I thought maybe it's the mucking around that I, that I really enjoy. So, um, and you're right. When people, when people see you on had you been paying attention, they go, Oh, amazing. What a, what a lucky break. What they don't see is the seven years of doing, the, doing those little filming online sketches, comedy festival shows, web series, writing, late nights, all the stuff that no one, sees but that has that has given me the flying hours and and hopefully um help hone my skills a little bit to get to that point so that when people do see you you're ready to take full advantage of that opportunity so yeah at school at school I didn't know what I wanted to do but I knew I loved mucking around and uh, and I, and being a fan of working dog I, I could see I looked at how they mapped out their career and I, I thought, gee, that's a that's a fantastic life. They get to make the shows they want in the time they want with their friends. What a great way to spend it um to earn a living. Um so I sort of reverse engineered it. All right, where did they start? How did they get their foot in the door? And and how can I do the same? That kind of leads well into what I was gonna say next is that you know, talk to a student, say in year ten or eleven or even year twelve, that um might have the, I guess the, the problems that you had in terms of, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, or I wasn't enjoying the things that are kind of academic. I was enjoying the, the other parts of school or whatever. What would you say to them in terms of find, maybe f- find an industry or a person or a, or a job that you really kind of want to go for and, and reverse engineer it maybe? There's a, there's a lot of pressure on, on, on kids, um, you know, in year, year 10, 11, 12 to, you know, map, map out your entire future. Um, these kids, can't decide what they want at the tuck shop for lunch. They've got no idea what they want to do, you know, 30, 40 years time down the track. So um, I was lucky I had really supportive parents and, and their advice was always do what you want to do. Don't do something because you think you should do something. Don't do something because you, you want to impress other people. If you enjoy filming, if you enjoy writing, if you enjoy acting, if you enjoy mucking around, 
let's let's look at how you can do that. So that was always the I was lucky in that respect. And then and then yeah, so so it's finding those people who who are 20, 30 years ahead of you and going, what did they do when they were my age? Oh, okay, they they did the law review, but they they put on their own comedy festival show. Okay, how do I do that? That that was sort of the um, the easy foot in the door. It's this this industry is hard because there's no career progression. You don't go to a law school and then you don't do um, your internship and then you don't be admitted. Then you're not admitted to the bar and then there's not a, a natural career progression. Um, but if you if 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 you look into people whose careers you admire or people whose whose work interests you, you can you can look back and go, all right. They did this when they were 18 and then they moved on to this. That didn't work, but then they did this at 25. Um, and a, a lot of them, um, I mean, I mean Sam Pang, who, who I am very lucky to work with, um, he, he was working in a bottle shop and he didn't really get his foot in the door until he was 40. So there's a, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's about patience. It's about um, keep working at it until the opportunity presents itself. And then when it does, you've got to be there to take full advantage of it. On that, Tim, I think um, one of the things we've spoken to a few people about is personal brand and you've certainly built that up over time yourself through your experience with the law review. Can I mention my sponsors now or should we do that later? Well, funny you should say that because I think you've kind of uh, preempted my question. What what are three three brands that uh, you would use to describe your own personal brand? Three brands. Well, uh, it'd be a lot of the gyms groups. So gyms mowing, gyms plumbing, gyms. No, but they're, they're really the same brand, aren't they? They're the same umbrella agency. God, same brands. Uh, probably Anset, uh, Target Country, Dick Smith, Bilo. Um, None of these brands exist anymore. <laughs> you're going to need to put out a fact sheet with this. Actually, fact sheets don't exist anymore either, do they? Uh, come on, Tim. This is young professionals. Um, uh, so we've t- we talked about them a lot, but Working Dog. But I also grew up in the era of Hamish and Andy, who were, yep. who were big on the radio and have since gone on to do great TV stuff. Uh, Sean McAuliffe. Th- these aren't brands. These are more people I, I admired. Hamish and Andy, Sean McAuliffe, Mick Malloy, Tony Mark. Brands. That's a bit of a tough one, Sarge. Uh, I think we, I think we, we can per- come back to it. Yeah, I think you've answered yeah. the question yeah. pretty well, mate. A, br- right. a brand doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a thing. It can be a person too. Uh, well, well, I'm happy you've been paying attention. We did a lot with Mitsubishi. So I'd have to say Mitsubishi would be right <laughs> up there, particularly the Pajero Sport. Elevate your adventure. Oh, we'll, make, we'll make sure we tag them. There we go. We got there at the edge. <laughs> Very good. Um, Tim, with that, yeah. so people coming in out of high school or wherever they're coming from, university, that, that are keen to get into media and potentially be in front of the camera and be in a creative um, outlet like that, uh, it seems that you learn a lot from what you've spoken about learning from other people's journeys. What is some advice for getting in touch with those people? It might, you know, other, other industries, it's very common to say, Hey, can I get a coffee and hear what you're, what you're about? But I imagine with celebrities, that might be a bit different. Um, what's the threshold there in terms of hearing what people are about and what they've done? There's, there's definitely still room for that in, in the entertainment media industry. We, um, I did that starting up, um, uh, well, we did radio on um, Fox FM in Melbourne and the Hit Network across Australia, and um, we reached out to Andy Lee um, to say, "Hey, have you got you know five minutes for a, for a coffee?" And he very graciously did, um, gave us some great advice. So it's it's very similar in that respect to a lot of other industries. If you're if you're polite, um, uh, respectful, and uh, open, and 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 uh, you, you want some advice, often often people 
who are 20, 30 years ahead of you are actually really generous and what ha- happy to help out because once upon a time, they were in exactly the same boat. They were the ones asking um, for advice. And um, so I'd say to anyone who, um, who wants a career in media, absolutely, if, there, if there's someone you really admire or there's someone who's work that you love, reach out to them. Um, and you can do that so much easier now in, with social media. Um, I, I sound really old using the phrase social media. Um, <laughs> but you can, you can fire off a, an Instagram message or an email to people. And, um, and even, even if you just say, hey, have, have you got five minutes or can I buy your coffee or can I buy your breakfast? And um, I, I love what you do. I'd love to, to learn more. Um, people are always open to, to kindness and happy to help out the next generation. In saying that, don't put my email in the, in the podcast so notes. We'll, because, we'll make uh, sure that all your fanboys and fangirls have all your contact details in the show notes. Uh, the number to ring is 04. We'll do that later. We'll do that later. Um, no, mate, on that as well, I think you've taken us through a lot of the journey, say your, your motivations for getting into uni and they're certainly different than a lot of people going in, I would imagine. Um, but it's cool that you had such a focus on this is the career I want to get to. A lot of those people have done something like the Melbourne Law Review I want to get involved in that. Um, do you want to just quickly step us through before we start to, to wrap up the other kind of uh, experiences that you've had along the way? Like I know you've been involved in podcasting and you've done some comedy shows and that kind of thing. Do you want to just step us through what the thought process was in that? Is it kind of just a scattergun? I want to get some experience with everything or was it more calculated? How, how did you go about thinking about that? So this is a good example of how you don't know what the one thing is going to be that takes off. So, um, uh, after after uni, a mate and I, um, Sam Gallup, um, decided we we loved writing together, we loved filming together, we loved um, acting together. So we just started a little Facebook channel with you know a couple of fake sketches, you know, taking the piss out of Married at First Sight or The Bachelor or, or The Block. Um, didn't think anyone would see it. Um, we we did it for about a year, and occasionally a couple of the videos would get a few different comments, and so that was always fun. Anyway, one video we did it was a Married at First Sight parody. Um, featuring a great mate of mine, uh, Mel Tresino, who's now on Nova, um, uh, doing a send-up of, of, of the girls on Married at First Sight. And, and I think I think about a million people had seen it or something. And, and so it got picked up by a, a website that um, writes news about the radio industry. Um, they were doing a top three social media post of the week and they, they said, oh, and number three, um, Tim and Sammy, um, their podcasters, they've done this this little sketch, have a look. And, and from that, they then interviewed us and said, Hey, we'd love to interview you. Um, what do you want to do? And so we said, Oh, we'd, we'd love to work in radio that we love Hamish and Andy and we love, um, get this Tony Martin, Ed Cavalier. So we thought oh, that'd be a, that'd be a great way to earn a living. And then the next day we got an email from, um, Southern Cross, so triple M and, and Fox FM saying, Hey, we saw the article. We'd love you to come in. Um, that actually went to our spam email. So we didn't see it for a week. <laughs> True. And then, and then a week later we got an Instagram message saying, Hey, did you see our email? And we go, Oh shit. No, we didn't. Um, but we, we, we came in and, and met them and that then led to us, um, hosting a show on, they had a little di- triple and had a digital station that no one listened to, um, to, just to give young guys a chance. So we did, we did about a year hosting a radio show there. So from, uh, and then that led to us hosting a show on um, the Hit Network on, on, on a Sunday night. So from doing the little um, video at the start that had, had no real aspirations of going, oh, this is going to get me here, here, here and here, just this will be fun. Um, I love doing this, um, working on flying hours, doing that little video at the start, then ended up a year or two years later working on, on radio. So 
Um, but that's, I think, number 39 of my top, Tim's top tips is that, yeah, keep working um, because A, you get better, B, it's a lot of fun, and C, you don't know. Um, uh, one, one of the things that you do might be the thing that gets, gets your foot in the door and then once you've got your foot in the door, that's when you can, you can show all the hard work and skill that you've been developing over seven years. You can bring that to the table. And on, on the topic of Tim's top tips, maybe, mm. maybe Tim's, Tim's last tip, what's, what's a tip that Tim would not give people to, to, to do? Or, or what's, a, what's something, that's something that students should maybe not do that they're told to do? Uh, two, two things. Don't, don't forget to mention your sponsor. So I did get Mitsubishi in there a little late. So that's, that's number one. Seconds, things not to do. Um, the, the thing I would, the thing I would say is, is, is don't, don't believe your own bullshit. Um, you might have to bleep that out. I don't know. Uh, although it's young professionals, it's a bit edgy, but, um, <laughs> uh, I, I know a lot of, uh, I always had the attitude of, um, the stuff I'm doing, I'm having fun, but I know I can get better and I know I can improve and I want to improve. And, and I'm still in that phase now. I, I, I know 1% of, of what the working dog guys know and they're still learning. So um, uh, I've, ne- I've never thought, oh, gee, this is fantastic. How, how good's this? It's my attitude is always I'm wanting to learn. I'm wanting to make the next thing I do better and then the thing after that better. And then you look back on, I'm like I look back on stuff I did five years ago and go, God, that was so long. That was so cringy. That, that's not funny. That's so flat. Um, yeah, so it's, it's never it's it's always having a uh, a willingness to learn to improve um, and to get to get feedback to get advice um, because that's how, that's how you get better and that's how you improve and and that's how you just keep chipping away. Just one more, and I know I know I said that was Tim's Tim's last top tip, but how do you balance uh, doing that where you have this this mindset of okay i know not a lot and i need to learn heaps but at the same time when you're dealing with people they expect you to have a certain level of confidence in yourself and you need to be competent like how do you balance that uh, mindset my last top tip is don't wrap up the show before you've got a couple more questions <laughs> you might want to write you might want to write that down it's it's true it's, it's a tough balancing act because uh, on the one hand, you do need confidence because when you, you get that opportunity, you need you need to back yourself and, and believe in your instincts. Um, so it's, it's one part confidence and, and the other part openness to feedback, to advice, to changes, to challenges. Um, so it's, it's a it's a bit of a mixed. Um, uh, and, and confidence comes from doing the work. I, I find um, any any time I do something. Um, what you don't see is the hours in the days and weeks before of preparing something um, so that, you know, when you are there, people go, hey, they, they, that, that wasn't too bad. Um, confidence, confidence comes from knowing that you've done the time and the work and you've built up the flying hours um, to get you to that point. So um, uh, for me, com- yeah, confidence comes from work. It doesn't come from um, past achievements or past I was going to say glory. It's not really applicable, but uh, yeah, confidence comes from putting in the hard yards, putting in the hours, um, and, and knowing that you've got those under your belt. I, mean, I think that's a great place to leave it. And we've touched on um, your very kind of funny and broad career so far. But I think from that, people can take away that um, you know uh, every, every success there's a lot of hard work that goes on behind the scenes and 
it doesn't really matter what industry you're getting into that is going to be applicable. So, so put that in and I guess, um, spread your footprint of, of the possibility of, of good things to happen. Like you've done in terms of the podcast and the, and the Facebook videos or whatever it is, the law review, um, meet as many people as you can and, and good things will probably happen from that. So I appreciate the time. And my last tip, and I promise this is the last tip <laughs> is that, and my dad said this to me once, if, if you, if you love what you do, if you enjoy what you do, and we've heard it before, you'll never work a day in your life. And you go, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I mean I've still got to get up at 8.30 to, to, to go into work, but um, it's true. If, if you, if you enjoy what you do, if you enjoy the people that you work with, and if you're doing something that you yourself find interesting, rewarding, um, something that excites you and interests you, it's, it's, it's true. It, it, that's the best way to, to make a, a, a career because, because ultimately life's too short to, to be doing something that you're not hundred percent invested in or something that you don't really enjoy. So with that, um, uh, thanks to Mitsubishi. Thanks. Uh, thanks Luke. Thanks Sarge. And yeah, if you, if you do want to be a professional pilot, uh, I'm happy to stick around to answer a couple more questions. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a profession you would like to know more about, a question you would like us to ask, or a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on the social channels at either the Young Professionals Podcast, TYPPAU, or our personal profiles. We'd love to hear from you.